This podcast is brought to you by the Toronto School of Management's NCA exam prep program. The TSM NCA prep program offers internationally trained lawyers courses taught by practicing lawyers in Canada, expertly designed study guides, exclusive networking opportunities with top Canadian law firms, and employability sessions, arming you with all the tools you need in order to hit the ground running in your pursuit to practicing law in Canada. To find out more about the program, you can email ncaprep at torontosom.ca. A Shot of Life, a podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind the professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode nine of our National Committee on Accreditation series. Our ninth guest is Daniel Lowe. Daniel is a private equity lawyer and is triple qualified in Canada, England and Wales, and the British Virgin Islands. He was born in Hong Kong, raised in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, and proudly calls Canada his home. He's currently working as a legal counsel at UBS in Singapore and is focusing on investment funds and asset management. Outside of his day job, Daniel provides mentorship and career coaching to law students and junior lawyers from around the world, assisting with international career pivots and personal branding strategies. Daniel is an advocate for diversity and inclusion. He's a founder of Global Lawyers of Canada, a national professional association that supports internationally trained lawyers and diversity in the legal profession. He is also a founding member of the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, Western Chapter, which seeks to promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian Canadian legal professionals and the wider community. He's also passionate about developments in fintech and legal tech and is actively exploring opportunities to get more involved. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Anton. How are you? Great. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to be on the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing for you to say yes. I know how busy you are. Um, <laughs> so the ability to speak to you, you know, uh, for listeners who don't know, uh, Daniel's living in Singapore right now, and here I am talking in my condo, in Toronto. So I guess that's the, the benefits of modern technology right there. So we can all get together and have a chat. Yeah. So I always like to begin the podcast by um, allowing you to introduce yourself and introduce yourself to the listeners as well. So I'm interested in where you're from um, and particularly what made you choose law as, as a career and where did you study? Right. Um, so, uh, as you know, my name is Daniel, Daniel Lowe. I'm originally from Hong Kong, born there, but I immigrated to Canada when I was five years old. So I'm actually from Mississauga, Ontario, mm -hmm. uh, raised there, basically did university at University of Toronto, did my law school at the University of Birmingham in the UK, and wrote my LPC in London, and then subsequently came back to Toronto and did my LLM at the University of Toronto again in corporate law and securities regulation. So that is kind of like my education pedigree. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what inspired me to become a lawyer, um, I mean, I think it all started when I was 
very young watching uh, television shows from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them were surrounded around kind of police officers in, in uh, the law and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to lawyers because these same police shows uh, would show police officers working with the lawyers. And initially, obviously, everyone's like, oh, police, police officers have guns and they're really cool. But the lawyers were always so calm and confident and they were rarely wrong. So I thought, you know what, mm-hmm. actually, these guys are cooler. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but that, I mean, like, I think there's another incident also in university when I ran, I don't know if you know, Anton, um, College Pro Painters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a friend in Ottawa who did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. I, I ran um, um, a franchise for two years um, mm-hmm. out in uh, Etobicoke. And there was an incident where basically myself and a t- small team were painting a client's deck. Um, and I mean, there was contracts signed and everything. And after the job was done, the client basically said, you know what, I'm not going to pay your full invoice. Mm. Uh, and at that point I'm like, what do you mean? We've signed a contract. I thought mm. this is legally binding and whatnot. Um, so the client actually dissected the entire invoice and said, you know what, I'm only going to pay half. Right. Wow. Um, yeah, that shocked me because, you know, as a university student, I thought, you know, like what, what can go wrong? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just painting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I remember feeling pretty angry, uh, feeling pretty vulnerable. And I, it was just really a shame that I couldn't really help or protect my employees at the time. Right. Mm. Um, and obviously I made a loss from that. But I think what I gained from that experience is that experience of, I guess, being taken advantage of. And mm. also knowing that if I knew the law better, if I knew my rights, if I knew the rights of my employees, I could have insisted and protected them better. Mm-hmm. So I think those kind of reasons led me to become a lawyer. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. You know, I, I, there are definitely people who see those college painters franchises coming to their door and saying, boom, I can take advantage of these guys. Yeah. That, that's unfortunate. But it also, it kind of, I mean, in, in a way, it inspired you. It was a bit of a springboard for you to launch yourself into this career, which is ultimately amazing. Um, but what what it reminded me a little bit of was one of the uh, Jerry Seinfeld bits when he was saying, "Everybody in life's playing the board game, and the lawyers are the only ones who've read the instructions." <laughs> and so it's sort of you know you feel like you're there, and you're like, "Oh no, what do I do? How can I?" This is you know, like you said, you feel vulnerable in the face of. Um, in the face of that. So yeah, uh, just reminded me of that. So that, no, that's very, yeah, very apt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's interesting. So I'm um, curious about a little bit about your journey to the UK to study. Um, I mean, how did you feel about that? I mean, what, what kind of went into that decision and, and how did it ultimately go for you in the UK? Yeah. So, I mean, at the point in time I was deciding on law school, I decided both on Canadian law schools and the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I considered the UK only because when I spoke to my parents about law school, obviously they're from Hong Kong as well, so mm. a previous British colony. And they told me, you know what, a lot of the top lawyers in Hong Kong are um, from the UK, mm-hmm. obviously because of legacy, um, but because generally there's like a, a good reputation behind UK law schools. And they asked me, did you ever consider working abroad? At that point, you know, from Mississauga, like a small town boy. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know what, probably not, but who knows, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of started me thinking about international careers and an international law degree and the benefits behind that. Um, So, I mean, fast forward, I eventually applied and got into a few UK law schools, ended up with Birmingham, and I was very happy with my decision. 
because the, the school I thought was fantastic. The, mm-hmm. the law school was very supportive. And also the UK was my first time, I guess, living abroad mm-hmm. um, for a significant amount of time. I was in the UK for three years. So I think in terms of hardships and, and anxiety and whatnot, it, I think typically international students have this kind of, you know, this is a new environment for me. So it's, I'm not familiar. Uh, I had no friends. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit of um, an adjustment for me. I remember, I think the first few months, I didn't have any friends uh, except my roommates, right? So yep. um, that was a change. Um, I, but yeah. No, I can definitely um, sort of sympathize with that. I, I felt the same way. And actually, what's interesting is that you quoted pretty much the exact time period that I felt a little bit sort of on my own, a little bit ostracized, unsure that first couple of months, like two to three months, like when you start law school abroad in September, late September in the UK, and then you come home for Christmas break. I remember coming home for Christmas break and being like, what the hell am I doing here? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go back. Like, I don't know anybody. But eventually I think at least for me, and I'm curious about you, but at least for me, something clicked. Like when I can't, when I got, went back to the UK, I was like, okay, Um, I got to make a go of this, you know, so I started joining some organizations. Um, I went on, you know, a trip to Iceland of all places and uh, (laughs) it was amazing. And I met a guy there who was, you know, still, it sticks to me to this day. Um, He was quite sort of gregarious and out there. And he was like, what's the worst thing that somebody can tell you? Um, It's no. And you never know if, if you don't ask for what you want. Right. And so that, that right. really stuck with me. And it, you know, I, since then I, like I found it's um, a society at my law school and things like that. But I would like, what about you? Like you were saying, you know, a bit lonely at the beginning. So did anything, does anything stick out to you when you were in, in abroad that, that made you feel a little bit more at home or like, how did you overcome that? Yeah, I think my experience was once again very similar to yours as well. So mm. I kind of realized that you know what I gotta make a make a go at this because I, you know I don't want to not enjoy my time here. Mm-hmm. So I really leaned in and kind of joined societies. I ran for student elections. I uh, I mean like I connected with the other Canadians on my on my uh, curriculum. So that was really great to connect with other um, Canadians and also most of them were kind of from Ontario as well. So we had a lot in common. Mm. Um, I remember I had classmates from Etobicoke, Brampton. Um, so it really, you know, hit it home basically when I hung with yeah. them, you know, but also, you know, having these other uh, friends like the UK based friends as well. Um, and like you said, going on trips, right. That's the benefit mm-hmm. of being an international student, uh, especially in a place like uh, in the UK is that you get to travel for so cheap, mm-hmm. right. And do all of Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's exactly true. And I mean, I, it, you kind of come back, um, like I managed to go to Prague and I managed to go to Iceland. Um, I, I mean, I always envision like, oh, you're going to go to Paris. You got, I didn't even go to Paris, you know, like I, did, I actually really <laughs> didn't travel much further north than Birmingham, actually. So, right. um, I mean, I kind of wish I did more, but you do have that uh, opportunity. And it's something that just like you said, you know, we're, I mean, listeners don't know, but we're from the same sort of hometown. And it is a suburb of Toronto and there's a lot of people here that live in a bubble, right? Like yes. they, don't, they don't sort of um, go beyond the 70 kilometer radius of the GTA here in Toronto. So um, that really, I think that's what it is really. When you go abroad, you're still in that bubble and then it pops one day and then all of a sudden the world is your oyster and you go get it. And so 
I'm interested then in you finish your LLB and a lot of Canadian students come back immediately. You know, they rush to home cook meals, um, but mm-hmm. you, you do your LPC. So for people who don't know the legal practice course um, is a mandatory course to take in the UK in order to become a solicitor. Um, so I'm interested in what led to that. What was that decision all about? Yeah. So at that point in time, I did want to stay in the UK and do a training contract uh, because I did think that the training in London is, is quite spectacular, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, in, it's a two-year training contract, too, so I would have thought that it's probably more inclusive mm-hmm. uh, and substantive than the articling program back in Canada, which is one year or 10 months. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I did the LPC because I wanted to stay in London, but after the LPC, basically, I had a few interviews. Um, didn't land any because I think still it was a financial crisis. Mm. So a lot of uh, the firms were kind of scaling back on the interviews. Uh, But also uh, being a non-UK citizen, a non-EU citizen, it was basically a barrier because a lot of the applications would say, are you an EU citizen? And if you check no, sometimes they would automatically say, sorry, we don't have the capacity or the quota to take on, you know, uh, foreign candidates. So that was a bit of a bummer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it would be. Yeah, And I I think that's true. Like, you know, people obviously when they're applying and they're Canadian, they're applying to UK based law firms. The UK based law firms need to sponsor you, right? For Mm -hmm. for a work visa. And and you're right that, you know, they have certain quotas that they have to keep to. So, so, okay. So let's say, you know, Fortunately or unfortunately, I mean, if you look back at it um, now, you probably say fortunately, given where you are now. But yeah. at the time, you know, you kind of bummed out, right? So what do you do? You come back to Canada when, when you kind of swing and miss on the training contract applications? Yep. I basically, you know, at least have at my safety net back in Mississauga. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I came back, um, applied for my NCAs. I got five exams mm-hmm. and this is basically just I dove right in. Um, started, uh, I bought the books, started studying, mm-hmm. started reaching out to others in the area. So through Facebook, uh, through contact, my friends that went back after the LB, LB mm-hmm. and uh, they had networks as well. So yes, starting study groups um, and also started considering uh, whether an LLM would be beneficial for me because I heard a lot of friends that did both, you know, either NCA or NCA and the LLM, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, basically did the research at the time as well and also prepare my application for my LLM. Nice. Yeah. And so you, you didn't do, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't do the common law LLM. You did a more specialized LLM, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, the, and that that's yeah. by yeah that's by design, right? I mean, the common law LLM for those who are considering it. I mean, it's it's it it's basically what it does is it exempts you from having to complete NCA exams. Rather, you just go and you do the LLM course. But effectively, what it is is a Canadian law degree in twelve months. You know, basically, that's what you're doing. Um, the equivalent of um, for for all intents and purposes. So you decide to undertake the exams yourself you do self-study you pass those and also you you obviously at this point have a vision of the kind of law you'd like to do i would imagine yeah yeah so and that and that's corresponding to to the llm so that's a strategic choice on your part yeah i think for me choosing the llm there were kind of a a few objectives that i want to achieve uh number one it's to have a canadian law degree 
on my resume, on my CV, mm -hmm. so that um, there's familiarity with employers, yeah. right? Because um, I know a lot of people said that it benefited them to mm -hmm. have that there, at least to have, say, you know, done a company company law course in Canada and to to show employers, hey, look, listen, I did an equivalent one in the UK, but also here's Canadian course as well, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and the second thing is for um, basically networking, uh, tap into the alumni base. And I was obviously able to network with my other colleagues, but also was able to reach out to alumni from U of T at other firms, right? Mm -hmm. And to say that, hey, you know, like I'm researching about the firm. I'm also an LLM alumni. Would you be happy to grab coffee kind of thing? Mm -hmm. um, so I think there is benefit in that. And I think the, the main point of doing this kind of both objectives is marketing and mm -hmm. personal branding. It's for yourself to market yourself as this kind of foreign lawyer with Canadian credentials. Um, but also, you know, U of T, Osgood, these are all top law schools, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, uh, people make that association that uh, despite where you went overseas, even if they don't know the university, if you're able to do a top, uh, you know, master's degree here at a top law school here, uh, that would be seen as equivalent, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, and that leads nicely into, I mean, you... I think it's, I mean, Daniel, we don't know each other personally really well, but I think it's fair to say, even from the story that you've been telling so far, um, you know, you, even in university, you were doing the college painters. So, you, you know, you're hustling, right? You're, you've got a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit um, about you and you're thinking long-term. And so what you've managed to do, and the reason that we got in touch in the first place is because you are synonymous <laughs> if I, with internationally trained lawyers on LinkedIn. Everybody knows you. You know, like if you go today after the um, after the podcast, if listeners go and look up Daniel Lowe, um, the connections that you've got are amazing. And you just hit on it there, just at the end of what you were saying, in that you know part of the strategy involved in getting the LLM was to also take advantage of the networking and connecting opportunities. So I'm wondering if you can touch, and I think it's so much more important now than even let's say 15 years ago, you know, digital networking, digital branding of yourself. Like everybody needs to think of themselves, especially internationally trained lawyers almost as their own personal corporation, right? Like they're, they're a walking corporation. So how are you going to brand you as a corporation if, if you imagine yourself that way? And so I'm, I'm curious about your insights in that. Like, how did you find, how did you learn and, and what have you found to be the benefits of doing networking and, and things like that? Right. So, I mean, uh, this makes me think about that. You know, there's that Jay-Z song, uh, mm -hmm. where a phrase where he says, you know, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. I keep thinking about that every time because it's true. You have to view yourself as a business and, mm -hmm. and, um, and as a corporation, as an entity, because how else, if you were to do marketing for a company, those same tactics work for yourself as well. If you see yourself as a brand, right. Mm -hmm. And I think of all things, everyone should be promoting themselves as a brand because that's your value add. That's your value proposition as an employee, as a friend, as a network, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, no, I, I do uh, rely heavily right now on LinkedIn, on my kind of virtual uh, networking. I like to host Zoom calls, Zoom webinars. Um, and all this is you know beneficial in the sense that if I, when I was in private practice, this would be part of my 
business development initiatives to mm-hmm. build a network. Um, and that's, you know, the network doesn't have to directly be clients that you can get work right away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I wouldn't encourage viewing, building a network as, you know, just getting clients, right? Mm-hmm. Um, investing time in new friends, um, in kind of different industries that you may never kind of uh, get in touch with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like I, I'm in private equity, so not only am I connecting with private equity lawyers, but also I'm connecting with law students, right? Mm-hmm. Law students that want to get into the, the uh, uh, industry, um, but generally law students anyways, and also private and industry individuals, mm-hmm. other professionals, operations, risk management and whatnot, right? Um, it just helps to have a broad base uh, of uh, connections because you never know um, sure. who may be interested in you know, your services or what you talk about um, or how you can help them or how they can help you. Right? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you know, connecting with law students I mean, you never know. One of those law students could be a colleague of yours or somebody that you come across um, on a certain, you know, in a certain matter. And then, you know, if you're if you're networking with industry professionals, maybe somebody recommends Daniel Lowe to somebody who looks you up. And you, it's right. You never know. I mean, digital, it's, it's kind of fascinating to learn about. You never really, I never really considered, I'm actually quite comfortable in saying I'm, I'm a bit ignorant to the whole idea of social media and social media marketing, but it is vast. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, really deep. <laughs> and right. um, I mean, there's a reason like people, people are suggesting that personal data is the most valuable commodity in the world today um, because of all the amount, the amount of people on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, you know, sharing stories, sharing ideas. So, I think if you're a player in that space, that's great. Um, what I'm interested in doing here, Daniel, is I, I think it would be really useful for the listeners to pretend that you know I'm an internationally trained lawyer from, uh, let's say, a foreign country. Let's say Nigeria, India, Spain, wherever. Um, mm-hmm. Let's assume that I've got my NCAs done. And um, I'm looking for work, obviously. <laughs> Um, but I'm not sure where to start. And I, I know that everybody says, I got to build a brand. You got you to gotta be active on social. So I want to try, but like Anton, I'm not very good at it. So how would Daniel coach me? How, like what would be the first couple of steps that I should take in order to establish a brand for myself in this new country? Right. So as much as I, I do promote the, so, uh, the virtual aspect, I do mm-hmm. encourage everyone when you're kind of starting this journey uh, to finding articling, finding a new job, is to start with your warm network. Tap mm-hmm. into your friends and family. Ask them, you know, do we have any, do you know any lawyers in the area or in the country that I should talk to? Um, just because they're able to vouch for you right away. Mm-hmm. They know your brand right away. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, there's zero effort there in terms of you building anything from the start, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then after your warm network, I would encourage um, LinkedIn because LinkedIn is basically your online CV at this point. Right. So, you know, um, revamp your LinkedIn, have a, a proper headshot, list out your, your jobs, previous jobs, experiences, make sure it reflects your CV uh, as accurately as possible, right? Because I know some recruiters that basically only look at LinkedIn, mm-hmm. they don't even look at your CV, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just make sure that that's accurate. Um, but that's step one. Step two is 
actually being active on LinkedIn. And I think it's best to actually use LinkedIn as if you're basically going to meet kind of cold connections. So I know some people are hesitant because they think, oh, you know, I, I don't know these people. How would I, why would I add them? Right. Why would they add me? Right. But think about it. LinkedIn calls these people connections. They don't call them, you know, necessarily friends. Friends, yeah. So if you want friends or you want to only connect with friends, stick to Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or stick to Instagram. But it, LinkedIn is for connections, right? Second, a second or third connections, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So basically take advantage of that um, and connect with lawyers in the industry that you want to get into. So for me, um, when I was getting into private equity, I would search up private equity lawyers, uh, Calgary or private equity lawyers, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And slowly I would kind of sift through and add those lawyers that I'm interested in connecting with um, and add a personalized message. You know, thanks for connecting. would love to chat more about your practice and this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say you have to speak to everyone, but uh, if you have time, right, uh, why not? Uh, the more people you talk to, the more clarity you get in terms of the area that you think you want to get into but also whether their firm is hiring, right? Right. Um, and even of if they're course. not hiring immediately, they always can say, you know what? I spoke to Anton uh, a few weeks ago and now he's reaching out for this job. You know what? Yeah, let's, let's go ahead with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really good advice. And, and what, what I'm getting from that is that it's, it's important to not ignore how important it is to dedicate time and energy into your LinkedIn profile, but also, you know, methodically and thoughtfully reaching out to, to individuals and connections and, and putting yourself out there. Like it's sort of, again, there's sort of an underlying ethos of the whole podcast that it's like a, a bit of me carrying the flag for just because you pass your NCAs does not make you a lawyer. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, it, I mean, it doesn't guarantee you a thing, right? Because yep. there's so many other things that need to fall into place and you got to work for it. Like, you know, I, I say you got to hustle. You do. You got to get out there. You have to market yourself. And I think that's really good advice. I think I hope that people listen to that and they say, okay, let me take a look at my LinkedIn. Uh, my headshot's not that great. Let's get a new headshot. Mm-hmm. Um, let me update. Oh, I did that thing in, in law school. Let me update that. You know, that that's pretty valuable to potential employers. I mean, and Daniel, you're, you're saying some employers will only look at LinkedIn because, you know, if, if you're ever in the job section of the LinkedIn website, there's tons of jobs that allow you to apply instantly with your LinkedIn profile only. Yeah. Um, so it's so important to keep that up to date and, and looking pristine. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm interested now. So you, you know, you, you've, you've perfected um, LinkedIn, you, you're networking, but where, I mean, for listeners who don't know, and I'm sure a lot will, um, Daniel, you're, you're sort of, you're like a founder of Global Lawyers of Canada. Is that correct? Yep. I founded the organization with uh, two other colleagues, um, Agnes and Jimena, and, and we founded it when we were back in Calgary, when we were articling students. Right. So, I mean, you found, I mean, it's become such an amazing resource for people, like not only internationally trained lawyers. I was telling, I was talking to Siobhan Lennox, who was on um, an earlier episode of the podcast. And I was telling her that like, 
I would recommend Global Lawyers of Canada to met, to domestically trained lawyers as well. I mean, just oh, that's fantastic. You know, just yeah, just the like there's there's mentorship, there's sort of coffee, have a coffee, digital coffee hours and things like that. It's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And you guys actually just had one yesterday that was really good. I recommend people look that up if, if they haven't already. Um, but anyway, so you you start the organization. What was the impetus? And um, did you ever envision that it would grow to have thousands of members? First off, I just got to say, GLC is kind of like my pride and joy. I've, mm. I've enjoyed kind of the entire process of starting it uh, with my other colleagues, but also kind of growing it to where it's now. Um, and I never would have thought that we would have been kind of like a national organization, even though initially we came up with the name Global Lawyers of Canada. We just thought, mm-hmm. you know what, as yeah. long as we build a network in Calgary and help build it out here and people have support, we're okay with that, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but no, it, the impetus for us was that, I guess coming back from law school in the UK, uh, I connected right away with the University of uh, Burbank alumni, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't much. There weren't many people uh, from the University of Birmingham in, mm-hmm. say, the GTA. And even then, there's not many that studied law. Right. So for me, I thought, you know, it's, it, it's not... Uh, I, I see other kind of law schools here, Osgood, Western, that have this legal alumni that they can do coffees with and uh, like lean, kind of uh, leverage their connections with. But I don't have that here, right? Uh, so I thought, you know what, with all the other law schools too in the UK or in Nigeria and whatnot, they don't necessarily have an alumni base here. Everyone's scattered. Right. So why don't we have an organization that's just for internationally trained lawyers that we can, once again, lean on each other and actually give each other support, you know, and if anything, just to go out for a coffee and just to understand, hey, did you do the uh, administrative law NCA exam? How was that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, just a, a group to commiserate with. So we, with that kind of in mind, we started uh, quite small in Calgary, held like a soft launch, and basically already there were 40 people that came out to the soft launch. Wow. Um, and uh, at the point in time, we were kind of asking them, what is it that you want from this organization? Do you want resources? Do you want regular kind of uh, tutoring sessions? What do you want? What do you need? Right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people came back telling us, listen, we just want to know that there's a group out there advocating for us, um, but also a group for us to kind of fall back on when we have issues or questions, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, like we ramped it up and uh, within months, uh, we, have a, we had a kind of hard launch and it was sponsored by McCarthy's in Calgary. And it was, I think it was 150 people that showed up. Um, and it was yeah, resounding uh, kind of turnout from the legal industry, but also the business industry. Um, and at that point in time, we kind of realized, you know what, there is a demand for an organization like this, if anything, just to kind of give us visibility, mm-hmm. give international lawyers a visibility across the country and also with the NCA. It's, it's always, it's how these things start, right? Like you start it because you think, man, this is... I would like this for myself. Like, wouldn't it be mm-hmm. great if, and then you realize when you, I mean, the organic side of things, like when you say there's a soft launch and it's just like, you know, let's meet up for a drink or whatever. And then 40 people show up. You're like, Oh wow. Um, yeah. So there's an obvious need for this. So it, it grows into this hard launch of 150, you know, lawyers and other professionals and now it's grown into multiple thousands of members. I'm one of them. I couldn't be happier with, with the kind of work that's being done. I actually think it's, it's, 
it is like you, you, you did a good, you, it's an interesting parallel. Like you were saying, like Western law or Osgood law or UBC law, they have their hmm. year alumni, right? Like yes, you're 2012 alums and everybody gets together. Everybody loves each other and everybody <laughs> kind of gives each other business at the end of the day. Really, They do. Yeah. Yeah. When they you do. get established. But now here we have internationally trained lawyers who come from so many different places with so much like really nuanced, interesting experience in the profession globally, you can only imagine that the benefits that that has, even if you're doing like, like Daniel, you mean you're working in Singapore in private equity, right? But like, I mean, there's so many interesting connections that can be made and interesting ideas or, or things that can be initiated from this organization. So, I, I mean, I can see it already. I just had a talk with Jawad, who is just promoted um, to be a board member with the Ontario section of Global Lawyers of Canada, and he loves it. Uh, he's, and he's a really driven guy who's had a 12-year experience practicing in Bangladesh. I mean, what an awesome, amazing resource that is right. um, for somebody who's practiced in another jurisdiction who's got insights, you know, that otherwise you wouldn't have. So I think inadvertently, Daniel, I think what you're shedding light on with Global Lawyers of Canada is that um, this is sort of the unique nugget that internationally trained lawyers have, you know, forever. It's sort of been thought of that ITLs are second-class citizens in mm-hmm. Canada because, you know, you couldn't hack the LSAT or your grades didn't make it or, you wanted the easy way out, you did the two-year, whatever, but mm-hmm. you have something really unique and what that is is shared experience, right? And like, I, you know, because I'm an ITL, you're an ITL, Jawad is one, maybe we get together and, you know, <laughs> we send each other business that's, that's really interesting, lucrative and international, which is such a, a really cool thing. Right. And you know what, like, to your point about, you know, alumni from Canadian law schools saying, oh, I'm 2012 uh, alumni, 2013. Mm-hmm. With ITLs, year doesn't really matter. It's more, I'm a UK alumni. I'm an Indian alumni. Yeah. Right. So you're based on geography, based on kind of uh, shared cultures. Um, and I think there's benefit there because, as you can tell, the practice of law is becoming a lot more globalized these days. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially now with, you know, work from home. Um new kind of flex uh, arrangements. Mm-hmm. So there's, you're going to be working from, with people from all, diff- all sorts of countries, right? Um, so having familiarity with that, I think it makes you a, a lot more culturally aware uh, than most. Mm-hmm. But also I think the um, Canadian legal market is very um, inward facing. Right. As, as international as uh, we think we are, we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, that international compared to say um, London or New York or Hong Kong, Singapore, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's that's a shame only because there's Canadian lawyers have so much to kind of offer the world, but um, they focus internally. So only our law schools or only our legal market matters, right? right? Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is, when I kind of started my international career in Hong Kong and in Singapore, when I told people I'm a Canadian lawyer. I didn't get that uh, good of a response. Um, but when I told them, you know what, I'm a Canadian and UK qualified lawyer, uh, right away, they're like, ah, oh, UK, yes, of course, we know. <laughs> no. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny because the treatment is different, yet the, my qualifications are the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no other place around the world uh, have I received stigma that I get in Canada, 
Uh, yeah, you know. it's it, that's so interesting. Like Canada is this really multicultural country that you know places actually a focus on welcoming skilled immigrants into the country annually at, at a rate higher, you know, per capita than most other countries. To be honest, mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting that the Federation of Law Societies and also the the Canadian law schools are rather insular, right? Like there's a, it's like, you can kind of look at it as a bit of a club. Um, And it's, it's, it's something that I think is, it's, it's slowly but surely changing with the global marketplace. Like there was a statistic I heard um, that last year, more internationally trained lawyers were called to the Canadian bars than domestically trained lawyers. Um, and, you know, if that trend continues, and I, I actually don't see why it would stop um, unless there's regulation around it, um, then, you know, there's got to be some recognition for the value of international experience and the nuance that comes with that. So interesting anecdotal experience, though, that the UK, I mean, it's such this UK lost such a brand, right? It's like, yeah. if you study in the UK, you know, all of a sudden, Hong Kong, Singapore, even in New York State, you know, oh yeah, UK train, that's good, yeah. But in yeah. Canada, it's it's like Canada, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, weird, yeah. and like that, I, I don't buy the you know like only Canadian lawyers or, or Canadian trained lawyers have a quality that's acceptable, right? Mm. I mean, I've in Singapore, I've worked with Indian qualified lawyers, uh, Sri Lankan qualified lawyers, uh, all sorts, New Zealand, uh, Australia, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Some of the brightest minds, right? Mm-hmm. But not Canadian qualified, right? I, yeah. I think it really depends on your work experience and kind of yourself, your qualities as an individual lawyer. I really disagree with the whole, you know, unless you're NCA qualified, uh, you're not equivalent or you don't mm-hmm. have the capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's an artificial barrier. I think, it, you know, there's you need some sort of testing. I understand that. But a lot of people view it as an all or nothing, you know. Right. Um, if you don't have the NCA, you're not qualified, right? That's not the case. Right. right. It's just another stepping stone. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's great insight, Daniel. I appreciate that. And I also, I mean, the, the listeners have benefited a lot from this conversation, Daniel. I know that because I have. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so we appreciate your time, obviously. And I think I'd like to close um, and let you get on with your day because it's, you know, 10 in the morning in Singapore, (laughs) it's time to get started. Um, But I, a little bit about looking forward, Daniel, like you've had a pretty dynamic international career that spanned multiple continents. So where do you see yourself, you know, not even in 10 years, but in like, you know, 36 months, let's say, like, how do you see your career going? Are you happy where you are? Do you envision yourself moving again? Um, personally, are like where do you find yourself in in the near future? So, uh, as you know, Anton, I recently uh, went in house. So mm-hmm. I'm currently at UBS now. But prior to that, I was at a um, at a law firm. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, um, I am more suited to the in house environment only because I do enjoy the commercial work a lot more than the black letter law, mm. right? Um, although I appreciate it, I you know like I I feel like that uh, my strengths are in commercial. Um, kind of exposure. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably going to stay in-house um, and especially in kind of private equity asset management. This is an area that I'm quite interested in and it's an area that's growing in Asia. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's a, you know, best of both worlds. 
Um, but in terms of say like midterm three to five years, I, as you know, I do a lot of mentorship and career coaching on LinkedIn and for a lot of law students and whatnot. Um, I do on the weekends as well. Right. So yeah. I volunteer my time. I really do enjoy, it. I really think that there's value in teaching. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may not be something I know exactly, but I, I'm happy to kind of discuss uh, with mentees uh, things I don't know, right? Because right. I can learn from them as well. Um, so if I can kind of leverage this into like a longer term uh, learning and development or uh, kind of coaching uh, career at a company or at a law firm, I mm-hmm. think that would be ideal. Um, and I think if I can get into that kind of career, I would be happy to leave legal practice and pursue mm-hmm. that kind of full time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it sounds like, you know, you're quite open to, I mean, it's, it's nice to, it, I mean, it's, it's good to hear Daniel that you found sort of your niche in the, in the world, right. In, in the commercial world and the legal world, you, you found what you enjoy doing and that's great. And I am kind of curious, <laughs> the guy who's painting the deck for college painters, <laughs> if you told him that, future Daniel's going to be in Singapore um, working in-house after having gone to the University of Birmingham uh, for law. Um, First of all, what do you think he would say? And second of all, are you happy with the way it all turned out? Would you do it again? I think that uh, deck painting Daniel would not even imagine uh, me leaving uh, Toronto yeah. Um, let alone, you know, going into say like Singapore, Hong Kong. Um, even when I moved to Calgary, that was a big move. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was only within Canada. Right. So I think right. he'd be astonished at how international <laughs> I become. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly that it's, it's basically happened through happenstance, you know, like things happened. Uh, I spoke to certain people, they've inspired me and it kind of snowballed. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but uh, no, I think that that's been quite a journey so far. Yeah, and and yeah, I suppose you're you're grateful for the experience, and so you would ultimately, all things considered, do the do this again to get where you are now. I think I would. I think I don't regret anything that I've done. Um, and I, like looking back, I would have thought that you know I I would re- regret going to the UK for law school because of all the stigma. And, uh, you know, the, the trials and tribulations. But I actually don't. Um, right now, I think that actually provides me with such a unique value proposition, both in the Canadian market, but also internationally. Mm-hmm. Right? And for me, it's all about the narrative. So this story that I tell that resonates with many people, I think that's valuable because I'm able to encourage others to say, you know, it's not where you went to law school that matters. It's what you do with it, like mm-hmm. what you do with that law degree. Um, so... I just, it's really encouraging for me to see others kind of doing this path as well and, you know, confident that they're going to make something of themselves. And I want to encourage that. And that's why I, you know, I love doing these uh, see podcast interviews or these chats with other NCA alumni, because I think that there's so much potential, right? And all we need is just that kind of a little bit of uh, motivation. Yeah. What a, I mean, I, I can't say it any better, Daniel. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the podcast episode there. It was a really, really insightful conversation. I appreciate, and I know the listeners will appreciate all the insights that you provide, you know, the tips on, on how to start or how to embark on your networking journey after the NCAs are completed. Um, to learning from your own experiences, you know, like everybody's got such a unique journey, um, but the sentiments remain the same, you know, ultimately 
if you make mistakes or if you feel vulnerable, if you experience anxiety and you think what a mistake, um, ultimately people generally speaking end up on the right side of things and they're happy with the journey. They're, they're satisfied because they went through something that's a challenge and they've come through. Um, and I think that's, that's um, a theme of the, of the podcast guests that I've had and um, it was interesting to learn from you. So um, Daniel, I, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Anton. And that just about does it for episode nine of the A Shot of Life NCA series. I'd like to thank Daniel for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's so interesting and it's just another example of how far technology's come that you know, I'm able to have a, a really great conversation with Daniel, who's living and working in Singapore. <laughs> so where there's a will, there's a way in order to get in touch with people all around the world. Really interesting story from Daniel. Uh, I think he's a, an inspiration to internationally trained lawyers in knowing that uh, no matter where you study or where you come from, you can really create a, a personal brand for yourself and be really successful, not only in Canada, but internationally. I invite, again, as always, everybody to look up Global Lawyers of Canada. They do amazing work, and Daniel's a key figurehead in that. And also to visit Daniel's LinkedIn profile, maybe shoot him a message, book a 30-minute chat. He's he's open to that, and uh, I think there's an opportunity for everybody to learn a lot from, from his journey, but also, as we discussed in the podcast, really thinking about how to build your own personal brand in this space. I mean, technology allows for it now. Uh, there's no real excuse that you we can't. I mean, the legal profession is changing like other professions and it's becoming more digitized. Um, and you have a real opportunity to set yourself apart if you're able to utilize social media effectively and the connections that you make on LinkedIn and things like that. So thanks again, Daniel. And uh, for the listeners, until next time, well, we'll talk again. Mm-hmm.